feel like I know you. Have you ever met someone for the first time? And that's one of the first things they tell you. They come up to you and they say, I feel like I know you because I've heard so many good things about you. It's so nice to finally meet you. And maybe you like that. Maybe it's a total compliment for you. And it's just so nice to meet someone when they've already established that you're such a good person. Or maybe you're like me, who when you hear someone come up to you proclaiming that they have an idea of who you are and they've heard all these good things, you become skeptical. I know my insecurity kicks in and I wonder, are they just being polite? Like what, they, what have they actually heard about me? I mean, it's hard to really believe that they've had this idea of who I am. And maybe you've been on the other end of that, where your student has told you so much about what their parent is like. Or you've met a grandparent that describes their grandkid, and you finally get to meet them, and it's this exciting encounter, and maybe pre-COVID times, you would almost want to embrace this person and then say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so, so excited to meet you. And you observe this person and the way they carry themselves out, the way that they are, is almost just like they were described. It's weird. It's the way that we're wired, though. It's, as humans, it's in our nature to, to begin creating these connections with people, even if we don't know them. There's a word for this. It's called a parasocial relationship. If we examine the prefix para, it means to resemble, to be apart from. So if you stick that in front of social, you get a relationship that resembles one, but that's not really an actual relationship. You actually get a one-sided relationship where the other person actually doesn't know you exist. And although this sounds totally strange and bizarre and perhaps unhealthy, it happens all of the time. If it's the example I just gave, or if, or if it's with celebrities. And this term was coined pre-internet era. It was actually coined when psychologists were looking at the phenomenon that was happening because people were connecting with actors in movies based on how many close-up scenes they got or their character traits. People were connecting to these actors and actresses. And through time, this continues to happen, especially even now, beyond movie actors, maybe even more with athletes, with musicians, maybe even more with social media influencers. These are people that, based off of their social media platforms, they've gathered an audience that wants to hear from them because these influencers provide value to their lives. Maybe it's a health and fitness influencer who shares their meals and their workout routines. And people want to get their physique, so they try to get inspired by them. Or maybe it's this fashion influencer that shares the, the new clothes or trends that are happening. Or house decorations. I mean, these are just a few of people's platforms that are online. And if we look at athletes, I mean, we can think of an easy parasocial relationship that I think we all saw recently, which is when Kobe Bryant died earlier this year. 
I remember being online right when there were reports that it could be Kobe Bryant that died in that helicopter crash. And it almost felt like the internet was screaming. They were saying, this can't be. This better not be a joke. You can't, you can't mess with us like that. Kobe Bryant, the Kobe Bryant, he's so young. I mean, he has so much life ahead of him. He has kids. And there was on TV and online photos and videos shared of people gathering together at the Staples Center with their jerseys on, with flowers, with photos, and a bunch of people that didn't know each other mourning the loss of someone they all knew in some capacity. And the fact that people wanted to attend the funeral. And I think it was this like lottery ticket that they did this drawing of fans that few select fans actually got to go to the funeral. Something that typically is so personal to friends and family, but these people are like part of the family in a way or feel like they're part of the family. That's a parasocial relationship. And it's not always so sad, right? We can also have these emotional connections when good things happen. I mean, if you just look in a grocery store aisle, you will see celebrity gossip magazines trying to share the exclusive detail of someone's wedding. All the details of the birth of a celebrity's baby or a house they bought or a recent cheating scandal or suspected cheating scandal, whatever it may be, we are so drawn to other people's lives and experiences. And that's kind of a way that we follow, right? Even if, if the relationship isn't as strong, we can sometimes find ourselves following these people. When we look at scripture and what following means in the context of God and us as humans, a very well-known parallel is the parallel between the shepherd and the sheep. Psalm 23, such a well-known psalm, takes us through what it's like when we follow the good shepherd. Man, when we follow the good shepherd, we don't want... God, the good shepherd leads us to these good pastures, guides us even through the valley of the shadow of death. And at the end, it's this beautiful visual of feasting with God. Why does Psalm 23 feel so good? I mean, maybe it's because it gives us a chance or an opportunity to proclaim God's presence in our life. I know when I've used it, um, when I've repeated it in Spanish, because that's the language that I've memorized this psalm in, man, it really makes me feel good. It, it provides the ultimate comfort. And if, we, and if we look at John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And if we extract that word know, K-N-O-W, in this verse, we extract it and we look at the meaning of know. It goes to the Greek word ginosko, which means to fully know. But not only that, but when used in the New Testament, it means to acknowledge the value in what you know. So Jesus is telling us here, not that he just knows that we exist as his sheep. Not that he has a full idea of who we are, but that he has all of that 
Plus, he sees the value in us as sheep. Which almost doesn't make sense, right? Because why would he see value in us? He's the God of the universe. I mean, what is valuable about us? If we were to compare who has more value, the sheep or the shepherd? The answer would be probably the shepherd, right? I mean, while the sheep is probably this way, the way the shepherd feeds himself and it's his life career, the shepherd is the one that protects the sheep. Without the shepherd, the sheep will get lost. They will just flock together and put themselves into some danger. They may not find the food that they need. So the shepherd. And maybe a real-life shepherd might say something similar. Yeah, well, there's value in the sheep, but without me, they're lost. And God knows that, right? God knows that without him, we're lost. Yet, somehow, we provide value. And God sees value in us, the sheep. And if we think about what I was saying in the beginning, imagine what it's like when someone actually comes up to you that knows you, that knows your flaws, that has probably witnessed you make mistake over mistake, and they speak value into you, and they say, hey, I love you, or I really care about you, I appreciate you. When that person probably has the laundry list of things to say about you, yet they pour value into your life. So if that's what that feels from a human, can we only imagine what that must feel like for God? And let's look at David. Before he became the king of Israel, he was a shepherd. And during his time as a shepherd, after he had been anointed, he went on. He could have easily said, well, I'm the king of, of future, I'm the future king of Israel, and I am above this shepherd role. I need to go prepare myself. Maybe that's what I'd do. I'd say, well, don't put me to tend the sheep. Don't put me to, don't give me the easy job. Give me the I need to go study. I need to learn politics. I need to submit myself into God. Not go tend sheep. Yet that's what David did. That was his role in society. And so then in 1 Samuel 17, that chapter takes us straight to a very well-known story. The story of David and Goliath. Now this story if you grew up listening to Bible stories, you probably heard the story over and over again. So I'm glad to be able to bring it again to you all. Maybe some of you adults, maybe some of you kids. I'm just adding on to the amount of times you've listened to the story. But David and Goliath. So the story in this chapter starts with Goliath, who is nine feet tall and nine inches tall. So that's two Vanessas. If you don't know me, I'm five feet tall, pretty short, but it's double my size, pretty much. And this soldier gives the Israelites an ultimatum. And he says, if one of you kills me, you guys win. But if I kill one of you, we win. And the Israelites were terrified. And David, while he was a shepherd, his father had sent him to bring bread to his brothers that were on this battlefield. And David witnessed Goliath threatening the Israelites. And while the Israelites were scared and in fear, 
without knowing what to do. And, and Goliath and the Philistines laughing at them, mocking their God that they believe in. David comes and he's horrified. He's so surprised. He goes up to his brothers and says, brothers, why, why is this person talking so badly about our God? Why are you guys so scared? And in verse 28, David's older brother Eliab tells him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. If we think about the fact that this is his brother, telling him to check his own ego, these brothers grew up in the same home. I mean, they probably studied scripture together. They probably had the same shepherd, of course, as Israelites, God-fearing people. Different sheep, the same shepherd. I mean, David's response seemed so fearless. And in verse 37, you know, David tells the people, the Lord who saved me from the foot of the lion and from the foot of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. Probably people like David's brother, again, were embarrassed by the way that he seemed so full of himself. When in reality, David was so full of God. And instead of David perhaps just so focused on his needs, what can God do for me? How can God protect me? Making it so much about himself. David owned his sheepness. And I made that a word, I guess. But David owned his role as the sheep in this this story. And he saw the power of God. He had experienced it and got a glimpse of the power that God has and was able to show them that day what it's like when God is with you. So what kind of sheep do you want to be? Do you want to be that sheep that has the same shepherd, but is so distantly connected to God, that you just know about him, but you're never fully satisfied? Or do you want to make Psalm 23 a part of your life? where you want to walk with God, not just nearly call him from afar, but but begin following him. What kind of sheep do you want to be?